everyone! Welcome to Inspired to Aspire. Today, we have Linda Zanako, founder of He Knows Your Name Ministries. He Knows Your Name is an organization that gives children dignity and honor in death by celebrating their life. Please join me in welcoming Linda Zanako. Yes, I'm Linda Zanako, and I'm founder of He Knows Your Name Ministries. And I'm also author of a book by the same name, He Knows Your Name, but my subtitle is How One Abandoned Baby Inspired Me to Say Yes to God. Awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So what motivated you to start He Knows Your Name? That I found um, a news story one day that was coming across my computer that said that there was a baby found in a dumpster in downtown Indianapolis. And that just got my mind racing with questions and my heart throbbing with the injustice of the situation. Mm -hmm. Even though that was such a tragic event, I love how it gave way to such a great organization. Um, I know He Knows Your Name provides funerals and proper burials for abandoned babies. How exactly do you find these babies? Well, they kind of find me, (laughs) honestly, because abandoned babies happen, you know, they're found either out in the wilderness, um, or sometimes they're abandoned at hospitals. Um, They're actually born, they have a medical record because any baby in the state of Indiana that's born over 20 weeks has a medical record with their mom. And by law here in Indiana, those babies have to be taken care of in death. And so what happens is, you know, no young mother ever goes to the hospital Um, especially anticipating a crisis delivery and has a funeral home director's name in her pocket. So she finds herself without resources most of the time and very scared and very traumatized and very alone. And so the bereavement team works with them um, and they let her go home and kind of get things in order. And then they, you know, sometimes realize like these moms aren't coming back. You know, they try to find them. They try to get property tax information on them. They try to find their parents, their family, their sisters, anyone else in the community who might know this family and who might take care of this baby and claim this baby. And when they have exhausted all their legal steps, the, the last legal step here in Indiana says that if anyone from the public comes forward, they can claim the baby. And so that's what I've done. So I claim babies at the coroner's office through that same process if a baby's been left there, um, hospitals or outside. And so generally those are all pretty much news stories. So I hear about them or since I don't really watch the news very much, people send them to me now. And um, also now that because I have relationships since I started my ministry in 2009, people call me and they know that I have resources and I'm willing to do this work. And so they kind of find me. That's what I mean. Oh, so after these babies are found, where do they get buried? Most of them here in Indiana are buried um, at a cemetery called Washington Park East Cemetery. And I chose that cemetery primarily because when that first baby was found in the dumpster, I immediately started researching what else has happened to abandoned babies in our state and in our city over the years. And I found out that there were two abandoned babies and I don't remember now even like when they were, um, but I found out that they were buried there. And so I called that uh, manager of that cemetery and asked him if he would work with me. And I said, I think I'm gonna have a funeral for this baby that was found in a dumpster. And he said, we would be happy to work with you. 
And then I need, so I started resourcing and planning for this funeral for this baby. And the, the criminal investigation for that child took 13 months. And I called the funeral home every, or this um, the coroner's office every Friday morning for 13 months. And I kind of hounded them. And I said, I'm really serious. I really want this baby. And they just had to wait for DNA testing or pathology to come back or you know, the investigators to determine this or that. And it just took so long. But over the course of 13 months, I started to develop a lot of relationships with people at the coroner's office and through the prosecuting attorney's office and kind of all over the place. And what started happening was that every time I called them, we started developing like personal relationships. And so one of those Friday mornings when I called, they said, hey, we were just wondering, you know, while you're waiting for this baby doe, um, does your organization um, also take care of abandoned babies that are left here at the coroner's office? And I just shook my head and I said, you know, I have to call you back because I don't know how to answer you. And I hung up the phone and I thought, Lord, help me because I'm not an organization. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to take care of the one baby, then maybe I should take care of this baby too. Like, why wouldn't I? And then I started to think, well, maybe everything I was working on to resource a funeral for the a, an abandoned baby maybe was all in fact for this baby, this five-month-old baby that died of SIDS at a grandparent's house, that then the whole family decided they would not take care of him, him in death. And so claiming him and then doing his funeral first made me think that that was going to be my one and only funeral. And that was in November of 2009. And then finally, by the end of the next year, baby Nicholas's story came full circle. And um, I ended up having his funeral. But so many things just started falling into place. And God started showing me a blueprint for my ministry. And he told me the name of it in my heart. And I just realized that this was a calling on my life and I had no idea where it was going to take me. And here I am 11 years later and I've buried 30 babies in 11 years. Wow. Who would have thought that one baby would be the starting point of saving so many more? Um, since the growth of your organization, I know that there must have been some hateful comments. How do you keep doing what you're doing? because God has laid it on my heart to do it. And, you know, when I first called the coroner's office and I, I asked about that first baby doe and the coroner said to me, you know, I said, Hey, I want, I want my name put on this case and I want to claim this baby and make sure this baby's being given a funeral and a name. And she said, well, you're the only one that's called. And I thought that came from heaven right to my heart. And I thought, this is for me to do. It's my assignment. And I know that this work has my name on it. And I do it because it keeps needing to be done. Like Monica says, if she would could work me out of a job, great, work me out of a job. You know, I don't want to have to be doing this. But there is a joy in doing it that is this like upside down economy of God where I feel like when you're doing, when you're bringing justice, you're bringing worth and identity and honor. It's always right. And I sometimes think I feel this incredible 
joy. And I don't mean like without grief or without sadness, but it's like a joy of purpose that is only mine. And I feel like, Hey, I get to do this amazing thing. Like this baby was hidden. Baby David, who you just referred to, he was at the morgue since June and no one knew about it. Like his mother was denying taking care of him. His grandmother was denying taking care of him. And like no one in the public knew that this baby was hidden away in this dark place for six months. And then, you know, I get a call and it's like, here's this baby. Will you take care of him? And he doesn't even have a name. And I was like, yes, I'll take care of him and, you know, name him and dress him in a beautiful garment celebrate his life and invite the community to come. And all of a sudden, it's not like this hidden thing anymore. There's no shame over him. He was celebrated and he was known. And everyone that came to that funeral, they hit the pause button of their life. And they said, your life matters enough for me to change the you know, stuff I'm doing today and come here and say, I now know you. I didn't know you in life, but I know you in death. And that is a really beautiful, like act of humanity. I think that's so special in how you really celebrate a life. Um, so you celebrated the lives of countless babies so far, but out of those, could you share a little bit about Abigail's story? Yes, I would love to. She, um, her birthday actually will be February 1st. So um, I was actually just at lunch one day with a friend and I got a call from a friend of mine who is an adoption attorney. And he said he was on vacation and that his father, who was the patriarch of this huge adoption law firm here in Indianapolis, had been working on a case all week and could not come to resolution like what he was going to do. And so he called his son and said, sorry to call you on vacation, but I need, I need some help. You know, this is a really big deal. And Grant said, you know, call Linda. So when they called me and they said, there's a baby that was born. So here in Indianapolis, like someone when, when there's a baby born at a hospital and then needs crisis intervention, they send the baby to the children's hospital, but the mother stays at the other hospital. So it is hard because then they're separated. Um, but the, uh, the baby immediately needed to go on life support. And the mother admitted to using drugs while she was pregnant and there was no prenatal care. And so they knew this baby was very high risk. So she went into the hospital then, I mean, right away at the children's hospital on February 1st. Um, and then immediately um, DCS got involved and the, um, you know, of course it became kind of an investigation and she decided to surrender her rights for the baby and give her baby up for adoption. And so this law attorney or adoption attorney had worked all week to try and find a family to claim this baby. And as the week went on, he was realizing as the hospital was that this baby was in very, very bad shape. And that the um, physician said it was the worst MRI he'd ever seen on a baby's brain. There was so much brain damage for this baby. So as the weeks, as the days went on that week, um, they were realizing that they were not going to be able to find an adoptive family but they needed someone to make end of life decisions for this baby based on the recommendations of the healthcare professionals. So when Grant called, um, he said, Hey, will you talk to my dad about this? And I was like, 
I don't even know why. Of course, I'll, I'm thinking I'll take care of this baby after she dies. Of course, like that's what I do. You know, I help resource funerals. And he said, no, there's more to this. This is super complicated. Um, would you go down to the children's hospital and meet with them? So I did. I went down and I met with the whole staff of team, the whole team that was taking care of this little baby. And I got full understanding of how severe her brain damage was that they had already done everything they could do for her and that she was now suffering. And so it was their recommendation to take her off life support. So I, um, you know, my head was spinning and my heart was breaking and I, I went in and saw her and held her and, um, I, on my way home from the hospital, I called my husband and I said, this is what's going on. I've gotten this call. And he said, you're not doing this alone. You know, I'm coming with you. And so the next day we went and we spent the day with Abigail and we, um, just loved on her, called her by name. Um, the nurses had made all kinds of beautiful things in her room. Um, after being in a room where she was in a diaper only and had no name on the door, no pretty like, like frilly things around her because they don't normally do things for an adoptive baby like that. They, they try to keep everything pretty neutral so that an adoptive family can come in and do that. And so by the time we got in there and we told them, no, we want her loved on and we want you to just treat her like you would treat any baby. Um, and those nurses went to town and they made footprints and butterflies. And of course it was near Valentine's day and they had hearts all over her room and it was just precious. Um, they, they dressed her in a darling little pink onesie and a little knit hat and put a beautiful blanket around her. And we were able to spend the day with her and um, we sang to her and took pictures of her and um, just celebrated her. Um, but my husband and I just did together. I mean, just parentally, you know, really joining together to worship over her and pray over her and read scripture over her and call her by name and give her all the dignity and honor we thought she deserved. And you can see this dress hanging behind me there. That's a beautiful crocheted dress that um, we dressed her in um, and we baptized her and um, put a little pearl bracelet on her. And um, once we took her off life support, we, they really thought that we were only going to have her just for maybe a few minutes. And we ended up having her for just a little over two hours and she was a fighter. Uh, but we ended up just celebrating her and loving on her. And then we had her funeral the next week. Um, but the a really um, the amazing surprise that came out of it for us was at the time, in making all those end of life decisions for her, um, I was just her guardian and this funeral or this, um, adoption attorney called my husband and I afterwards and said, you know, would you like to adopt her? And we said, Oh my gosh, yes, we would love to adopt her. And they said, you know, we can do what's called a posthumous adoption, which means you're adopting her, not just in death, but in life, we can post, we can predate this because you were with her in her life and her birth and death certificates now have our name on it. And, um, it's an official adoption. So we, um, were really so shaken up by the whole thing. And yet 
so moved by the honor of loving her for that short time and being able to call her, you know, ours. What did adopting Abigail mean to you? It just meant everything to us because we, instead of just like acting like her parents in that time frame, we became her parents. And that felt more true and pure and holy for us. Um, and it's not like, well, we just stepped in and did the right thing, or we stepped in and kind of oversaw something that needed to be done. You know, we were able to really consider and together, my husband and I, you know, carrying the load of this little life and sharing and holding her and loving on her, um, the experience of it together for us, uh, because we're, we were parents of four other children that, um, it just felt like it was meant to be. I think that's so inspiring and how you felt that compassion to adopt this beautiful little girl and give her a name and parents and really make her feel special during the time that she was here. And with that, we are going to take a short break and after we'll be talking about some advice Linda has for teens and how we can continue to advocate for the safe haven law. We'll be right back. Do you have someone from a particular career field you want to hear from? If you do, head on over to at Inspire to Aspire podcast on Instagram and fill out the speaker suggestions form in the bio. I'm always looking to get suggestions on who I could feature next and how I could help you achieve your dreams. While you're there, be sure to give at Inspire to Aspire podcast a follow to stay up to date with the show. Now let's get back to the episode. And we're back. So I know your organization is a huge supporter of the Safe Haven Law, and you've seen so many good things come out of that. When you look back at all the differences that you've made through this organization, what is the most rewarding thing that comes to mind? I would say absolutely meeting the children that are now turning one years old or something because they are now with their forever family and I get to see them with their parents and their siblings and they have a future and they have a life and they have education ahead of them and they have a name and they have love all over their life. And to see it working is absolutely incredible. And so women who choose to carry are heroes to me. And then women who choose to give up their babies under the safe haven law so that they can have life, you know, are champions. And I want them to say, like, I am pro baby and I am pro mama. <laughs> That's a rewarding experience for sure. You're bringing so many people, a community of people together to celebrate lives. And it's amazing how you gather so many people to celebrate this one special life of a baby. Yeah, I mean, Grace, it's, mo it's so incredible to stand there at the grave and watch the cars come in the cemetery. Like just, they keep coming in procession. And you know, these I've put it like on Facebook or something like, hey, I'm having a funeral, please come. And just stand with me at the grave and celebrate the life of this baby whose entire family has walked away from them, right? And when all these strangers come and they cry for this baby and they bring flowers for this baby, and they spend time with me, you know, talking about this baby, praying over this baby. I just think it's one of the most beautiful 
things that I, I just feel like I am so honored and it's a privilege for me to give my life to this work. Wow. I feel like you're really creating this family of people for these babies. I, I always say that we're there, we are now their spiritual family. We didn't know them in life and, and yet we know them or him or her in death. And, um, and that bonds us. And like, when people come and stand around the grave and I tell them stories or we see the little casket and we put flowers there, I mean, everyone hangs around for a while afterwards. And they're like, I, something happened in me today. That's like, it changed me. I didn't think I had anything in common with an abandoned baby, but I do. I have a footprint. They have a footprint. The image of God is on me and the image of God is on them. And I gave worth today. And now I feel worth. I feel worthy as a human because I expressed humanity today in such a beautiful selfless way. And it is, it's, it's a spectacular movement and mystery of the calling on my life. It's really beyond words of how much you're actually doing for these babies and providing a community of people and a proper burial and everything. Um, on our part, what can we do so that these babies grow up to be safe, happy children? Yeah. Um, I think I would love for people. Well, I, I don't know that, you know, like state by state, what the law is for um, abandoned babies at hospitals, like what all the protocol is for hospitals. But I think if pe people should start calling their hospitals and say, what are you doing with your babies when they're over 20 weeks and you're bound by law? Like, I think hospitals need to answer to this question because I've been told by hospitals that they don't have funds to do the right thing. And I don't know what all of them are doing, but I want to raise awareness about that more. I want to see safe haven baby boxes in every state. And I think that we have a lot more work to do to raise awareness and educate. The other thing, Grace, that shocks me every time I talk to a middle school or high school is how many people don't even know what the safe haven law is. And so I know that like the law that came into being here in Indiana in the year 2000, um, our government has spent no money on raising awareness and educating. And so all of the media coverage that co covers now the Safe Haven Baby Box or my ministry work really is the education arm for the Safe Haven Law. And so I think we need to be doing more to raise awareness and educate. I think every high school and middle school should have that as a part of their health program when they are doing anything in regard to health or whatever, all the different things they're doing, that they should add the safe haven law information to that. But I also think every state should have at least a 30 day um, option for giving up a baby. So I think there's state statewide things to be doing, but the other thing I would say is if you ever see anything on the news, please email it to me um, because I do work in every state. And I, when I hear about that, I get a hold of sheriffs and judges and everyone. And I make sure that babies are claimed and given dignity. And sometimes I go wherever I need to go. Like I've been to New Jersey, I've been to Ohio. I mean, I go take care of babies when I can. And sometimes communities have people that are willing to do things. They just don't really know how to do them. 
And so we get on the phone and we talk about it and I coach them through it, or I send them resources and funds and help them get going on it. So I think it's finding out about cuddle cots in hospitals, helping bereavement care. October is infant loss awareness month. And that's always a good month to be really, really sharing a lot of good information on social media about that, because we need to, we need to remove the stigma of pregnancy and infant loss for families and we need to improve bereavement care in hospitals. So I think wherever anyone might find themselves on the spectrum of that, where they feel like, yeah, that's something I can do. Um, and I am not trying to sell my book, honestly, but I do think that pe when people read my book, they find something in it that feels like it's theirs. And because I share so many diverse stories People learn so much about what under-resourced people need or what different agencies are doing, and it helps them understand the issues more. And our social issues are climbing, as you well know, that between immigration and language barriers and sex trafficking, you know, the infant loss and pregnancy loss issues are growing, and they're growing because people are scared and they're uninformed. Um, and they don't think they have options. And that's why I think really the safe haven baby box is so critical because it's an anonymous surrender. And um, a woman does not have to hand her baby to a first responder, although I would prefer that they do, but they don't have to under this. And so this passing this law in every state is really important. I totally agree about needing more teens knowing about the safe haven law in high school. Um, before I interviewed Monica, I didn't even know what the safe haven law was and that it even existed. And yeah, I think that can play a huge part in uh, for teen moms who are going through these situations. Um, as a last thing, what would you say to inspire Generation Z? Goodness sakes, I would say be well informed and realize that um, your life matters too. And that I've, there's purpose on every life. And even, even being young, it's hard to understand this, but you are shaping your own legacy, even as a young person. And you have no idea how God is going to use you. Like for me, he knows your name was birthed when I was 49 years old. I had no idea God was going to have that for me. Um, and he's forever bringing purpose out of us. And so always be seeking him and find your yes. Like be a person who says yes. Be a person who once you know about an injustice or something that needs to be done, then go do it. It doesn't mean you have to do it your whole life, but do it for now. I mean, I have to have margin in my life and say no to certain things that I know aren't for me so that I can say yes to the things that are for me. And you don't have to do everything and fix every problem in the world. You just need to work on one that's right in front of you. And I think we all know, you know, like there's some things that just make our heart race. And th those are the things that we're responsible for. So take responsibility for the things you can and don't think you have to like change the whole world because of it, but be really involved in your community and really understand, you know, what the needs are in your school and in your neighborhoods and in your communities. And then be a voice for the voiceless because, you know, being an advocate 
for anyone anywhere is always going to be a significant contribution to the world. That was great advice. Thank you so much to Linda Zanaco for joining me for today's episode. It was honestly so inspiring to hear about everything she is doing through He Knows Your Name and how she is truly giving a name to all these babies and doing so, bringing a community of people together. Be sure to purchase her book, He Knows Your Name by Linda Zanaco on Amazon to hear more of her experiences and stories. Follow her on Instagram at Linda Zanaco to stay updated on all the wonderful things she is doing through this ministry. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode and be sure to tune in next Sunday to hear from another inspiring guest. Catch you later!